for this morning's message, I would like you to turn to the book of Ephesians, the New Testament book of Ephesians, and we're looking this morning at verses 14 through 18, the book of Ephesians. I am, if you're visiting with us this morning, I am preaching expositionally through the book of Ephesians. Um, We are in chapter 2. Chapter 2 is comprised of two large paragraphs, verses 1 through 10 and then verses 11 through 22. In the first 10 verses, I had three messages on those first 10 verses, and I am in the second of three messages in verses 11 through 22. And the passage we come to this morning is one of those passages that we need to hear but isn't one of those that a pastor is likely to pick out if you're preaching at another church or at a conference and they say, pick out a passage, you know, we'll let you pick out any passage. This isn't probably the passage that they're going to pick to preach on. However, it is a very important passage for us as believers as we understand how God has reconciled us through Christ, to himself, but not only to himself, but to each other. That God has not only reconciled us through Christ to himself, but through Christ has reconciled us, made peace between each other. And in verses 14 through 18 of Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul writes, "For speaking of Jesus Christ, for he himself is our peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Well, our first point this morning is animosity and hostility. In Ephesians 2, 11 through 13, we learn that Gentiles have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Two weeks ago, we learned this last week was Father's Day. I preached out of the Gospel of Luke, but we're back to our series today. So two weeks ago, we looked at verses 11 through 13 and saw that we as Gentiles have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul says we are to always remember. In verse 11 and verse 12, he says, therefore, remember and remember. And he says to the Gentiles, remember in verse 12 that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. As Gentiles, we were far away. As far away as you possibly could be from the covenants and promises of God that he had with the people of Israel, with the nation of Israel, with the Jewish people. So we were far away But then it says in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Their saving relationship to Jesus Christ, those at Ephesus and the other Gentiles to whom this letter would go, and all of us 
who I would guess predominantly are Gentile here this morning. We were far off, but we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Our saving relationship to Jesus Christ has changed everything. The term the blood of Christ here very simply refers to the sacrificial substitutionary death of Christ in our place, on our behalf, for our salvation. We have been brought near by the sacrificial death and glorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so we who were once far off, and as I shared with you two weeks ago, it literally means, if I could use the term, it means you were super far off. You were about as far off as you could possibly be, have been brought near. The term brought near is a very tender, beautiful term. It has reference to the Jewish temple. In the Jewish temple, there was the holy place where the priests would come and they would offer sacrifices and worship with the candles and the showbread. But dividing but there were, was another place called the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the very presence of God was. But dividing the holy place from the Holy of Holies was this huge, massive, thick curtain that separated the two. Because if anyone went into the Holy of Holies, they would die immediately because sinful man could not go into the presence of a holy God. The only person who could go into the Holy of Holies was the high priest once a year to make sacrifice or to make atonement for sin on behalf of the people of Israel. So, sinful men and women had no access into the very presence of God, into the Holy of Holies, until Jesus Christ came and took our sins upon him on the cross and overcame sin and death through his victorious resurrection. Tearing apart the great dividing curtain And granting sinful men and women through Christ, being clothed in his righteousness, granted them presence or into the presence, granted them entry into the very presence of a holy God. And so Paul says, you who were once far off have been brought near. You now through Christ, clothed in his righteousness, can come into the very presence of God. And I want all of us here this morning to know that we have been brought near. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have been brought near by by the blood of Christ. And Paul shared with us, writes to us in verses 11 through 13, that we must never forget who we were before we came to Christ. We must never forget the pit that we have been pulled out of in our salvation. And we must never forget that everything we are, everything we have and everything we are now is because of Christ and Christ alone. We owe everything to him. And he builds on that as we move into verses 14 through 18. He is saying that now Jews and Gentiles are one new man. One new person in Christ because we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. This was radical. This was unthinkable to the Jews and Gentiles of this period of time. And here's why. The history of humanity since the Garden of Eden has been a history 
of animosity, hostility, conflict, and war between human beings. It has one great historian said that the history of mankind could be traced from beginning to the present by its wars. That if you just trace the wars of human history, you could trace the history of mankind. Constantly, including our own day and age, there is animosity, hostility, conflict, and war. And the amazing beauty of the, tr- of the church, the true biblical church, is that it brings former enemies together in Christ. It brings former enemies together in the family of God. People who could not get along with each other. People who were opposed to each other. People who committed violent acts against each other. When they come to the cross, when they come to Christ, they are now one. They are now Christians together. They are now part of the same family of God. Folks, I share with you this morning the cross of Jesus Christ is God's answer to racial discrimination, to segregation, to hatred, to anti-Semitism, to bigotry, to war, and to every other cause and result of human conflict. The great need of the day is to take the gospel to the nations, to take the gospel to every people group on the face of the earth that they might know that they too, they too can be brought near through the blood of Christ. Ephesians deals specifically with the intense animosity and hostility that existed between Jews and Gentiles. It is so hard for us as Gentiles in the 21st century to grasp. I know it is hard for me to understand how deep the hatred was between Jews and and Gentiles. They could not eat together. There were places they could not be together. They could not worship together. Often there was great animosity, great hatred toward each other. And as you know well, throughout the annals of history, there have been times when Jews have persecuted Gentiles and Gentiles have persecuted Jews. In Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 6, a verse that we're going to look at in a few weeks ago, it says this, this mystery, there's a great mystery unfolded through Jesus Christ in the New Testament. This mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This was unthinkable in the first century. You would read this as a Gentile. You would read this as a Jew and say, I can't believe it. How can you say this is so? That Gentiles are fellow heirs with the Jews, fellow heirs with the covenant people of God, members of the same body, partakers of the same promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. What a great thought. And Paul says, I want you to know that, Jews, and I want you to know that, Gentiles. Our second point is one new man. As Christians, we have been saved by and belong to the Prince of Peace. Again, in verses 14 through 16, it says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby 
killing, killing the hostility. There is a verse that we often use at Christmas time, but this is not just a Christmas verse. This is a verse for every day of the year, and it is Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, where the prophet says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let me tell you this morning, we serve, we belong to, we have been saved by the Prince of Peace. And Paul says, he himself is our peace. Our peace with God and our peace with each other is found not in some kind of negotiation, not by keeping some kind of rules or regulations or rituals or ceremonies. Our peace with God and our peace with each other is found through Jesus Christ and through him alone. He himself He himself is our peace. And he says that Christ has made us both one. Oh my. Oh Lord. You are so gracious. You are so majestic. You are so incredible. You have made Jews and Gentiles one in Christ. And I want all of us to know this morning that the only identity that matters in our lives now is our identity in Christ. We are the Christ ones. We are the Christians. We are the redeemed people of God. We are the sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. We say things today, and and don't misunderstand me this morning. There's nothing wrong with doing this. But we tend to use terms like, he's a Jewish Christian. Or she's a Messianic Christian. Or he's a... African Christian or she's an Asian Christian. There's nothing wrong with saying that. But folks, we have no other identity but that we are in Christ. We together, brothers and sisters from across the world, we have one single identity and we are Christians. We are the ones who have been bought and saved by our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. And it says he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. In most commentaries, they believe that the dividing wall of hostility was a reference to a location in the temple in Jerusalem. There was the court of Gentiles. And the court of Gentiles was divided by a wall from the court of the Israelites. And the Gentiles could only be in the court of the Gentiles. They could never cross over into the court of the Israelites. Now the court of the Gentiles, biblically, was intended to be a place of witness by the Jewish people to the Gentiles. Where they could proclaim through their temple worship the greatness of their God. Inviting Gentiles to come and know the one true God. Fulfilling their Biblical theme and purpose to be a light to the whole world. To be the light for God to the nations. But instead the court of Gentiles became a place that the Jews despised. It became a place where they didn't want those people having anything to do with the people on the other side of the dividing wall. In fact, it is said that there was a sign that hung for many years on the dividing wall that read, no Gentile may enter within the barricade which surrounds the sanctuary and enclosure. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. You cross this wall and you die. 
it's the kind of animosity that, and the high hostility that existed between the Jews and the Gentiles. But then it says, he has broken it down. Think of the historical biblical context here. He has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. In his flesh is exactly the same as brought near by the blood of Christ. In his flesh refers to his sacrificial death on the cross. That he sacrificed his body. He bore the curse of the cross in our place on the cross. He gave his flesh for our sins. And in his flesh he broke down the dividing wall between Jews and Gentiles. In the first part of verse 15, it says, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. The law of commandments expressed in ordinances is believed to be a reference to the ceremonial law. Now, most Old Testament Bible teachers teach that the law of Moses, the law of God, is separated into two parts, or contains two parts, I should say. The first is the moral law, summarized in the Ten Commandments. The moral law has not changed. The moral law is as binding on us today as it was in those in the Old Testament. But there was also the ceremonial law that you read about extensively in the Old Testament. There were certain foods you could eat and couldn't eat, that which was clean and unclean. There were certain people you couldn't associate it with at certain times. There were ceremonies of cleansing. If you touched a dead body or if you uh, touched any kind of mold, there were all kinds of ceremonial regulations that the Jewish people had to follow. And those ceremonial ordinances were given by God to keep his people distinct from the sinful nations and cultures around them. They weren't bad things. They were good things. But those ceremonial ordinances found in the law became a weapon for the Jewish people, a weapon to use against the Gentiles. We can't be with you. We can't talk to you because our laws say we can't. And then they, as you know, when the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the teachers of the law had come along, they had heaped up all kinds of human traditions in addition to these ordinances. And Paul is saying that when Jesus died and rose again, when he lived a perfect life and then died as the Lamb of God and rose from the dead, he abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. The moral law continues. The ceremonial law has been abolished. How has it been abolished? Because Jesus Christ fulfilled every single detail of the ceremonial law. We no longer have to keep it because it is fulfilled in him. And he has released us. He has saved us from the curse of that law. So in essence, he has abolished the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. And here's why, don't miss it. Here's why, the end of verse 15, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. No more ceremonial laws do we have to keep. Sometimes I hear of Christians 
trying to keep the dietary laws of the Old Testament. And, and if you want to do that just because you think it'll help you have better health, fine. But don't think that's going to bring you closer to God or that you're under any obligation to do that because Christ has fulfilled all of that. He has abolished that so that so that he might create in himself one new man, Jew and Gentile, together as one new man in place of the two and had made peace between us. Again, we have peace with God and we have peace with each other. Verse 16, he says this, summarizes it, brings it together, and might reconcile us both to God in one body, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Abolishing the ordinances, creating in himself one new man in place of the two, making peace between us, so that he might reconcile, watch this, verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God, in one body, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. What a thought. No more hostility between us and God. No more hostility should there be between us as believers, Jew or Gentile. In Romans chapter 12, excuse me, Romans chapter 10 and verses 12 and 13, it says this. For there is no difference, Paul says, as he writes to the churches in Rome, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Many of you have probably memorized Romans ten thirteen. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I can't tell you how many times I've used that verse in evangelistic presentations, in funeral service. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that is so true and it is so beautiful. But have you ever thought about the context of it in the book of Romans? He says, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Again, a first century reader is going to say, are you kidding me? Am I really reading this? For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Therefore, we could say, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you're tracking with me this morning, maybe you've already thought of this. Do you see, do you see here the great cross-cultural evangelistic implications of this. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Every person from every people group, from every skin color, from every language group, from every culture, everyone, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is no difference. There is no distinction between Jew and Gentile between us and the people of other cultures because when we come together in Christ, we are one in Jesus. Stay with me. The biblical fact that we are one new man in Christ, at peace with God and at peace with each other, is an essential part of the gospel we proclaim. We Proclaim a gospel that says we are at peace with God and we are at peace with each other. And it is all because of the cross of Jesus Christ. In verses 
17 and 18, it says, And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. What a verse, verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Peace to those Gentiles who were super far off. Peace to those who are near. The Jewish people who had the covenants and promises but needed to understand that God's salvation is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and in him alone. Peace. The word preached here is a phenomenal New Testament word. It is from where we get our English words evangelism and evangelist and evangelical. It means to proclaim the gospel. In a number of different commentaries as I was studying this, it said when you use the word preach, it literally means to gospel someone. That's what it means. I want to gospel you. I want to preach to you. That's literally what the word preached here means. To evangelize means to take the gospel to them. Not just to preach about any and every subject, but to preach about the saving work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. So he says, peace to the Gentiles, peace to the Jews. And the implication here is peace to all people groups in every part of the world. Let us gospel them. Let us take the gospel to them. Peace. Preach peace to them. I think of the people groups that we have had the great honor and privilege of having a part with. I think of the Ateti people in Papua New Guinea, the BM people, the Yembe Yembe people. I think of the Kora people. Craig and Shelley are working among, the Mozambican people that Kent and Jenny are working among, the Togolese people of West Africa, the Bengalis of Bangladesh. Peace to all of them. Preach peace to all of them. That's what Paul is saying here. He, Jesus Christ, came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Peace to all of them. And think of this, of what this can potentially mean to those peoples who are so hostile toward each other. I think of the continuing, ongoing hostility between the Jews and the Palestinians. Back in March in our missions conference when Jason... Peters was here from Hope Haven, Rwanda. Remember, he chronicled the history of the great animosity in Rwanda between the Hutu and the Tutsi. They have killed each other. They have committed great acts of violence against each other. They despise each other. They hate each other. But potentially, potentially through the gospel of Jesus Christ, they can be at peace with God and at peace with each other. I think of the 1990s and the ethnic cleansing that was going on in Bosnia and Croatia, but potentially through the gospel. Those people can be at peace with each other. William Hendrickson, in the Baker New Testament commentary series on the book of Ephesians, says this. He says, in a world filled with unrest and hostility, The only hope for true peace is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
The only true hope for peace in this world is through the gospel of Jesus. Oh, folks, I know, I understand that we will never have true and lasting peace until the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, we can see people come to Christ and be brothers and sisters who once were in great animosity and hostility toward one another. In verse 18, it says, For through him, through Jesus Christ, we both, Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit. Notice the word spirit is capitalized, meaning Holy Spirit. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. We can now come into the presence of God as one new man, as Jews and Gentiles together. And here's the thought. Here's the thought. I want you to try to get this picture. It's as if we are standing together, holding hands, Jews and Gentiles, holding hands with people from every people group in the world, from those with different skin colors, those with different languages, those from different cultures, those from different people groups. And we are standing together and we are saying, we together in Christ We are the children of God, sons and daughters of the King, and we together have direct access to our Father, our Father through His Holy Spirit. We think of that great, amazing verse that humbles us again and again, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, where it says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Do you know why the writer of Hebrews could write that verse? Because through him, through Jesus Christ, we now have access in one spirit to the Father. I have asked Pastor Mike to close us with that Getty song, The Lord is My Salvation, because that is what this passage is about. The Lord is my salvation. He is your salvation. He himself is our peace. We have been brought near into the very intimate presence of God through the blood of Christ. And we have peace with God. And we have peace with each other. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus is our peace. Thank you that we have been brought near through the blood of Christ. That we can cry out to you and call you Abba, Father. That we can address you directly. That we sinful men and women who know Christ are now clothed in the very righteousness of our Savior. And we are your children, your sons and daughters. And we praise you and ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.